James surveys literatures, and thank you, most guards. This is a very small world, I think, in the Presbyterian Church, and there are a number of you here that I do know from speaking and preaching in other places, but also just through connections that we all have and celebrate. I'm a very proud Alma College graduate, but I also went to Alma along with my wife, who's over there in the middle. I won't embarrass them too much. She's right there. <laughs> along with my children, Denali and Bryce. Any other Alma College grads here? I always like to find that out. Are there any couple? You all are soon to be Alma College students. I'll recruit you afterwards, along with Kaylin, who's wearing Alma College A. We are really here because of your mission dollars. Since the founding of this church, the way you support higher education at the General Assembly level and through individual gifts has supported Elma, my education, my call to ministry, along with so many others. And so truly, it's a thank you. Uh, if you get a chance and you want to come stop by the table in the narthex by the chapel, Caleb will be out there. I'll be around as well. We have gifts for all the high school students who might be here. If you are just an old-looking middle school student, we'll give you it too. So please do stop by. And thank you for giving us a chance to be here. Especially Baccalaureate Sunday is always a funny thing. We bring in guest speakers to come speak at commencements and graduations. I don't really know you graduates. And I'm about to talk for the next 45 minutes and give you advice. So, good on you. Uh, seriously, thank you for trusting me. And I, I mean this. I'm not the only one who's going to be giving you advice. I'm sure you're going to get all kinds of unsolicited advice as new graduates about what to do with your life. And please, all of it, take it with a grain of salt, pray through it, and know that it's all given out of love. And so congratulations to you and to all of our uh, college graduates as well out there. The scripture passage that we just looked at with the uh, children is the New Testament lesson, or at least the end of it. For me, the focus is on the individual relationship that we see here at the end. This is the midst of Paul's preaching all over the place. And here he's accompanied by Silas, and you'll also notice that in the beginning, it is a first-person plural, where he starts saying, then we went here and we did this. The author of Acts, uh, who we think is Luke, seems to have joined in with the ministry journeys right at this time. So it's first-hand experience. And we see Paul and Silas arrested for really putting an end to someone's career and money that these folks in the city were counting on. But also, Paul and Silas are proselytizing. They're converting people, which was illegal in this particular city. It's a funny thing. This is a great cosmopolitan city with not a lot of Jews in it. And Paul and Silas are there talking not just about Jesus Christ, but about how to follow him and be a better member of this new Jewish sect. And they get in a lot of trouble for that. Hear these words from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned to her and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. 
They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city in an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer, who was commanded to guard them carefully, was there. When he received his orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, when suddenly, such a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken. On all at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and felt trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately... He and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Let us pray. Gracious God, this word is given to us so that we might understand the great story of faith that began so long ago, in which now we are characters. And the many chapters that will come after us will be written by those faithful who worship here and throughout all of your world. We thank you then, Lord, for letting us have this moment in this particular story, written by Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Ah, the graduates. And the graduates who are out there, you are now card-carrying, diploma-owning adults. No one will ever tell you what you're doing wrong anymore because you've earned our respect. No one will ever tell you that that's a bad decision or that you're not old enough to do that or that that's unwise or that they would do it differently. No, no, no. Your parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters respect and they trust you. They will follow you now as you lead us. Amen. Nothing like looking at a 20-something following them into the unknown. We just don't do it. And I'm so sorry because even though you have these diplomas and those who are scattered out here, the unwilling followers are still out there. There are many of us who've been where you are now. Maybe it was last year that we graduated or 10 years ago or 60 years ago. We remember our own graduations as well. And we also remember other people telling us what we're supposed to do and not do. It takes a while to assert ourselves finally. I think people are offering you guidance, like me and like everyone else here in the congregation, because we want you to succeed, but we can't help remember what we did right and what we did poorly. So guidance and recommendations seem to flow to all of you who are on display today. I apologize for that because you really are on display. We are looking at you. We are seeing in you hopes for the future. We are recognizing that you will walk into a world that we have created and we hope that you will do something good with it. 
it. And here at Rosedale Gardens, you are not anonymous either. And I certainly hope that scares you as much as it should. You can't get away with much in a congregation like this. People know you. People know your families. People have uh, uh, the ability to watch over you, to pray for you, your neighbors, teachers, your pastors, your friends. You're continuing in a fellowship with fellow believers who've walked on the same path. And because of that fellowship of faith, you are accountable to all of these people who are gathered here today, who love you and support you, who watch your trials and successes and will continue to be there with you. It's with that sense of support that I hope you feel that you are now walking into the world, into these dog years that you experience between 18 and about 25. The idea that, like a dog, each one of those years is kind of like seven years for you. You will change dramatically in these next few years. The problem is the rest of these people are not functioning with that same sense of urgency and change. So if you go away and come back for the first time, it may be a change, it might be difficult. You'll experience things apart from this congregation that they won't understand necessarily. You will become who you will become. You will marvel at your becoming. We'll rejoice and we'll celebrate and we'll weep with you when you weep in those pains and trials. I believe that somewhere along all of our journeys of life, we have those people who watch us change at different pace. And we also find that there are people who you did not know previously who become the best friends in your life. One of the great marvels for me is how we run into people who are utter strangers, and then they turn in to be your neighbor, your coach, your best friend, your spouse. There are people in this room who do not know one another, but they may come to know one another. And they will see that we are all part of that same family. Kate, actually, so I've known her for years, which came up at the early service when we were talking. I appreciate the invitation to be here. Kate, when she was doing youth work at St. Paul's, happened to come up to the church I worked at in Northern Michigan. And she brought her youth group, and she would worship up there in her congregation. But we didn't really talk all that much right away. Until when she was there with the youth group, I saw the van that said St. Paul's on the side of it. And, oh, yeah. and I said, ah, my parents were married there. Tiny, tiny worlds. And then we shared from there and realized that we know a lot of the same people. I don't get to say this very often. I preach all over the place for Elma College, uh, throughout the country. But this is the one time I can say with sincerity, I was born in Livonia. I was born at St. Mary's a couple of years ago. <laughs> one of you might have been in that hospital at that day. And that is fascinating to me. Now we are all here, and graduates, that I'm standing here with you. We run into people in the funniest ways and places and times. If you allow me, a very quick story with this one. My wife, Rachel, and me, we like to travel. And on our 10th anniversary back in 2014, we went to Germany to celebrate Oktoberfest. Because that's something you do. We always wanted to. Ask the kids how the trip was, because they didn't get to come. <laughs> but we're in Munich, and Oktoberfest is like Cherry Fest on beer. It's a lot of people from all over the world, but certainly from all over Germany. Germans and Bavarians come, and they're all there. It's massive. 
we see over in the distance two strapping Bavarian men wearing lederhosen. They look like all that you expect to see in Bavaria. And sure enough, they're taking pictures with who are obviously tourists. We see people who are probably Asian and African, and we see some Americans who keep coming over there and taking pictures with these two nice Bavarian men wearing their later hosen, 20-year-olds uh, who are there indulging all the crowds. And so we walk over, and some very broken German, ein Foto? Bitte? To which the one young man says, Ha! I'm from Michigan too! <laughs> Sign 
The jailer is fascinated. Why would you do this? And instead of giving them a standard sermon or telling them, you know, we talk about it later, we'll send you a really nice letter. I write all the time. Paul instead decides to stay right there with them and takes the time to meet with their families as well. They break bread together. They're baptized. I mean, the, the ending of the story is great that they are released, but right there, they don't know what's going to happen. They simply take the time, Paul and Silas, to be with that one person. And they make such a difference that that jailer's conversion spreads throughout Philippi. On any given Sunday, there will be a sermon up here, and I guarantee you will not remember this sermon, or no offense, all the other sermons we give as much as you will remember the person in this congregation who loved you and demonstrated their faith. You won't remember my words today, but you certainly remember those youth volunteers you had. You won't remember the stories you told here as well, but you'll definitely remember the person here who took the time to get to know you, who prays for you, and continues to have that relationship. That, that is the community of faith in Jesus Christ. Not this particular academic moment in all of our regalia. It's the person who loves you, who is your sister and your brother and family of Christ. It's the older members of the congregation I remember growing up in Brighton who still send me notes saying they're praying for me. It's the youth directors that I had who I turned to when I was a young man saying, how did you deal with this? I have teenagers almost right now. How did you deal with me at that age? It's the people who greet you on the way in and say, I remember you when you were a little kid coming up here in the children's moment. Those ones who are out here scattered right now will be you in not so many moments from now. And I would challenge you to say that your relationship with them means something. Just like it means something in the relationships you'll have when you leave this place or stay in this place. The jailer's conversion begins because someone else takes the time to care. Graduates, You've grown up in this community under the watchful, loving eyes of family, friends, teachers, and a congregation of supporters. You have made mistakes, and we are there for you. You will go through this place and have triumphs, and you will have more trials. And these people pledge to still be with you as you make those new relationships that spread. My goodness, I did not expect to be standing here a year ago. Did not know all of you personally, but I do hope that this moment starts at least a relationship. And if it doesn't, at least know this. I will be praying for you today. I will think of you every baccalaureate service, and I will wonder where you went from this moment, along with all the people out here. Give them all the best then of your relationship. When we cry when we see you, don't tell us to stop. Just be thankful that someone cares. When we laugh at the stories of you as children, brush them off, because we'll tell the same stories about your children one day. And as we give you that advice, know that it is out of a love and compassion that comes from Jesus Christ that we want you to do well in this world and follow your call. Wherever that call might be, know that the Holy Spirit is with you. And God is blessing you.